Welcome to Shelving Cart. I'm Sarah. And I'm Teddy. And we're both librarians here to have a podcast book club with each other and all of you. On Shelving Cart, we talk about books like it's a one-hour book club meeting, so we talk about likes, dislikes, reviews, general feelings, and more. And generally completely spoil the book, so be warned. And today we are going to be discussing Born by Jeff Vandermeer. Ow, ow! <laughs> um... <laughs> not to spoil my feelings about the book at all um <laughs> but sarah have you ever read anything by jeff vandermeer before this is my first i've seen the annihilation movie <laughs> Ugh. okay we'll talk about that <laughs> that's it that's my only that's my mm-hmm. only connection and that this book has been on my bookshelf for the past four years <laughs> so Um, to clarify, it is a friend of mine's copy of the book that has been sitting on Sarah's shelf at my like refusal to believe that Sarah would not read a book that I recommended. <laughs> just took, I mean, I read it. It just took a while. You, you super did. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Excellent. All right. Um, well, you have read other books besides this by Jeff Vandermeer. Yes. So I've read this book before. I read it in 2020. And then I also have read Annihilation. Okay. I started but did not finish another book of his called Dead Astronauts. That's actually the sequel-ish kind of thing to this book. Um, But if you can believe it, it was incomprehensibly weirder than this book. I can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I can um, Yeah, I mean, like, Annihilation, I thought, was, like, so good. There was a point when I was reading Annihilation that I literally left it face down on my coffee table for three days because I was too scared to keep going. Yeah. Like, that's how good Annihilation was for me. Um, so, overall, I have very positive feelings about Jeffy. Jeff Vandermeer is an author, editor, and literary critic. He was born in Pennsylvania, shout out to Philly, um, but spent his childhood in the Fiji Islands because his parents were in the Peace Corps. Mm. Um, And that, I think, informs this book in an interesting way. Um, He returned to the United States and attended the University of Florida and then took part in the Clarion Writers Workshop, which I think is a big deal, in 1992. Um, I've never read this book, but he credits Angela Carter's novel, The Infernal Desire Machines of Dr. Hoffman, with blowing the back of his head off and rewiring his brain in terms of writing. So that's a pretty strong endorsement. Um, I put it on my TBR. We will see uh, (laughs) if it's that good. Um, So he is what's called a new weird author, and that's a genre that sort of crosses boundary lines. It incorporates horror and speculative fiction, but it's not married to either of those two things Mm. um, and started in like the 80s and 90s. Um, You can sort of think of Alistair Reynolds, if you know who that is, or China Neville? Mayville? Embassy Town, mm. the author of Embassy Town. Okay. Uh, I don't know either great. of these, so. Okay, love it. So this is really, I think this might be your first weird fiction. Um, yeah. The new, yeah. Do you think that's accurate? Uh, uh, probably. I don't know. It's hard to say. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. In in this specific type, like, sci-fi setting, weird fiction situation. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, like, part of it is, like, it it needs to be at least in some way speculative yeah. and whether or not that sci-fi is, like, up for debate. Yeah. Um, But the New Yorker did call him the king of weird fiction. So he's definitely, like, yeah. the granddaddy of the genre. Yeah. Um, he began writing in the late 1980s and was a prolific contributor to small press magazines, which published his horror and fantasy short stories. So mm. if you can, you know, like he was just really typing away. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like a cute backstory for yeah. him. That he, he was just like publishing all these short <laughs> stories in magazines and stuff. Um, so when he writes, it's my impression that he likes to hang around in the same world for a while with all of his stuff. So Shriek, Finch, and C- City of Saints, and Mad Men are all set in the same place, which is this imaginary city of Ambergris, um, or Ambergris, however you pronounce what comes out of a whale. And then Born, Dead Astronauts, and The Strange Bird, A Born Story are all in this universe mm-hmm. that we're about to discuss. So he, you know, he'll hang around. He has a lot of thoughts about a specific place as he comes up with it. Um, he also edits anthologies with his wife, Anne Vandermeer, who is, like, an incredible editor. Yeah. Um, and is, like, very famous in her own right. Um, in 2014, he published the Southern Reach trilogy, I think, like, all in one year. So it was kind of like a publisher's gimmick that it wasn't just, like, one big, long oh, book. Yeah. Yeah. I but see. it starts with... Yeah, it starts with Annihilation, which won the Nebula and Shirley Jackson Awards for Best Novel. Huge deal. Shirley Jackson, and then it, the queen. The queen, yes. And then it was adapted into a film starring Natalie Portman, which was bad. Um, <laughs> if, you, I, if you hadn't read the book, I liked that movie. Like, no book context. So. Oh, I, I hated it so much, but that's okay. Um <laughs> No judgment if you liked it, obviously. Um, But he's also a teacher and is involved with Shared World, which is an annual two-week program that aims to teach creative writing to teenagers. And he has written several creative writing guides, which I think is hilarious because I think of those as like, um, I don't know, just like very (laughs) like straightforward or like marketable, how to write marketable writing, and I don't think Jeff knows what marketable is if it slapped him in the face. Doesn't like doesn't Ursula K. Le Guin have a, a writing guide book too? Okay, Ursula's book though is about like the beauty of fiction. Oh, like okay. it's like okay, right? It's like yes, and it's also more than that because it's Ursula K. Le Guin. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I was like, so like I don't know. I haven't investigated Jeff's, yeah. and it very well could be in a similar vein. Yeah. But um, um, I guess I'll read the book jacket also. Yeah, go, go. Yeah, do book jacket. Absolutely. Okay. So book jacket starts with a quote. Am I a person? Born asked me. Yes, you are a person, I told him. But like a person, you can be a weapon too. In Born, a young woman named Rachel survives as a scavenger in a ruined city half destroyed by drought and conflict. The city is dangerous, littered with discarded experiments from the company, a biotech firm now derelict, and punished by unpredictable predations of a giant bear. (laughs) 
<laughs> Rachel ekes out an existence in the shelter of a rundown sanctuary she shares with her partner, Wick, who deals his own homegrown psychoactive biotech. One day, Rachel finds Bourne during a scavenging mission and takes him home. Born as salvage is little more than a green lump, plant or animal, but exudes a strange <laughs> charisma. Born reminds Rachel of the marine life from the island nation of her birth, now lost to rising seas. There is an attachment she resents. In this world, any weakness can kill you. Yet against her instincts and definitely against Wick's wishes, Rachel keeps Born. She cannot help herself. Born, learning to speak, learning about the world is fun to be with and in a world so broken that innocence is a precious thing. For Bourne makes Rachel see beauty in the desolation around her. She begins to feel a protectiveness protectiveness she can ill afford. He was born, but I had born him. Born with an E, which is how you spell his little name. But as Bourne grows, he begins to threaten the balance of power in the city and to put the security of her sanctuary with R- Wick at risk. For the company, it seems, may not be truly dead and new enemies are creeping in. What Bourne will lay bare to Rachel as he changes is how precarious her existence has been and how dependent on subterfuge and secrets. In the aftermath, nothing will be the same. So. That's a good jacket. Yeah. I think it accurately describes what's going on. Yeah. Um, okay. Every review on the back is about Annihilation. <laughs> Wait, Really? Mine's, yeah. Mine aren't. So do you want one okay. of mine? Well, okay. Here's what I will say. Is that Stephen King called <laughs> the Southern Reach trilogy <laughs> creepy and fascinating. Um, and that N.K. Jemison on Authority, which I believe is the second or third book in Southern Reach, said, more than just a horror novel, there's something Poe-like in this tightening, increasingly paranoid focus, but where Poe kept his most vicious blows relatively oblique, Vandermeer drives them deep, albeit in a corkscrewing way that is no less cruel and exquisite. Um, which is the most prosy I have ever heard N.K. Jemison give a review. Like, yeah. it's just so funny <laughs> in that it like sounds like Jeff Vandermeer. Um, what are your Bourne-related reviews? Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy was an ever-creeping map of the apocalypse. With Bourne, he continues his investigation into the malevolent grace of the world, and it's it's a thorough marvel. I love Coulson Whitehead. <laughs> um, let's see. Supremely literary, distinctly unusual, Vandermeer's deep talent for world-building takes him into realms more reminiscent of Cormac McCarthy's The Road than of The Shire. Superb. That's from Kirkus Reviews. I love that. Yeah. Yes. Wow. That's some good reader's advisory, actually. That's not what I had written down, but if you liked Bourne, you should probably read The Road. Less aliens, but similar apocalypse literary fiction. Do you have Goodreads reviews? This is hilarious. I have my own review from 2020. Oh, (laughs) amazing. Okay. So I read this at the beginning of the pandemic, which will inform the first sentence. Yeah. I began reading Born as an attempt to turn my attention to something that wasn't about a global crisis. (laughs) But ended up actually terrified that this book is a prescient warning about the end of the world. Vandermeer did something with Born that he was not able to do in the Southern Reach trilogy, although this although those were also excellent at eliciting fear. But Born, I finished terrified and terribly happy. This surrealist science fiction novel is a game changer for science fiction geeks who think they've seen it all. They haven't. That's my five-star review from that's 2020. A, that's a good review. I like how you Thanks. wrote that one. 
I think Thanks that so you much. you gave me this book to read during 2020. And mm. I think that's why I couldn't read it. <laughs> I think I kept trying valid. and I was like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no okay, way. That's really valid. I, Wynn says this about me all the time too, where Wynn is like, I don't understand how as the world is like literally burning you are able to read apocalyptic fiction and i am like i love it so much yeah i like it too but i do get that i get i get itchy i get really really uncomfortable i get lost in my feelings of being one person only um you know like i'm like i'm only one one person like i can't do anything like it's like i'm like this is so beyond feels so beyond my control that I'm like I don't know what to do because I agree with the things that I read and I'm like but what you know it's very existential for me personally to read it I have given up on many an apocalyptic fiction valid it depends yeah my other report backs from Goodreads are that it feels like everyone who is a Jeff Vandermeer fan feels the need to write a small essay as a review on Goodreads. Like all of them are like intensely long. (laughs) Um, Yours was nice and concise. Mine was short, but everyone else was like, but I was like feeling a little naughty and looked at the one star reviews specifically because I was like, what's going on for people who did not like this book? Um, Because that's so far from my own experience that I was like, what's going on? So somebody said, thought this book would be right up my alley based on the description. So I was surprised and disappointed that I hated it so much. (laughs) The plot, such as it was, made no sense. The reactions of characters to events made no sense. Every interesting idea was taken about three steps too far in the wrong direction. And on a sentence level, it was even worse. Pretentious, thesaurus-infused prose that never failed to use multiple, sometimes contradictory modifiers when one would do the trick. This was my first and last by this author. Ooh. Damn. Oof. I know. Ouch. Ouchy. Um, This one was short and sweet. I came for full-on sci-fi horror after reading the Annihilation trilogy. I left with a YA-friendly story about a giant talking squid. <laughs> what YA-friendly... Like, what... I I am super not convinced that this is YA. I, I just... Mm, it's not YA, but that just sounds like genre fiction getting shoved somewhere to me. With, with not enough violent... Like, there's violence in this book, but with not enough, like, um, I don't know. Gore? Over, yeah, gore, I would say. Because I haven't read Annihilation, but I'm assuming there's more of that in there. I just, like, don't even think that's true. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. Like, Annihilation also had, like, weird, creepy animals and, yeah. like, I don't know. Maybe a little I, more, I just, just more scary, whereas Born isn't necessarily super frightening all the time you know i know i just feel like if you're not into existential questions about the universe (laughs) that and you liked annihilation you just read annihilation wrong like that's not my fault like just Um, yeah i get i get what you're saying (laughs) so should Um, we just roll into it roll into our discussion yeah okay let's do it okay cool we can talk about the characters 
in our list, we have the company as a character, which I think is very valid because it's like the overarching kind of like ominous theme, like thing of the book. So the company is a now defunct company <laughs> that <laughs> that um, was creating biotech, which biotech is biological, like human in, or like living matter infused technology basically. Mm -hmm. um, and they took over this nebulous city that we're, our setting is. And they did a lot of things to fuck up the city. At first they came and they were like giving people jobs, everything. And then it just, what the city was doing was causing the effective pollution and all the bad things in the city to happen, basically. Yeah. Beyond just the general context of the rest of the world. Um, that one. Yeah. That's the company. I would also like to add that the company <laughs> building is just this like giant egg. Yeah. <laughs> so there's definitely something in there about like hatching or like yeah. looming like change yeah. in that it's and like fertility stuff, yeah. like whatever, but it's just like a giant white egg. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's the company. Um then we have Mord. Mord is a five-story tall bear who can fly. I thought he was t ten stories tall. Is he five, five stories Five tall? stories, yeah. Well, five isn't good enough for you? Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> it can be st ten stories in your head. That's fine. Yeah. Um, head cannon. He's five stories tall, and he flies. Um, he was a company creation, so he's supposed to kind of protect the company. But, in fact, he doesn't always do that. Um, he is a piece of biotech technically um i don't have that much about him so go for it i know you're you're mord is the love of my life i am just so obsessed with mord he's huge and he flies and he's literally just a bear and he just like does violent bear shit um at like various points in the story he like floats ominously overhead yeah. um i would say like my big shit about born that i or about mord that I love is this idea of like Mord as saint. Like there's this oh, idea yeah. of like Mord as deity that is like so stunning. Um, in his like first introductory, like we wake up in the book to Rachel, who we will discuss momentarily, like climbing Mord yeah. to scavenge shit that gets stuck in his fur. And, um, She's talking about like, oh, like, you know, following Mord and scavenging is like an option. Um, and she says, as with life generally, you never knew. So you followed head down in genuflection, hoping Mord would provide. And it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like nasty, violent God. Like, <laughs> ugh, I love him. Um, and his names were many and often miraculous to those who uttered them aloud. So like. Mord, in some cases, clearly has been Voldemorted. Yeah. Like, he is, like, he sh who shall not be named. Yeah. Like, that is Mord. But other people don't call him Mord. They call him Seether, S-E-E-T-H-E-R. Um, and he's just, like, a devious big guy. Yeah. And I just love the shit out of yeah. him. Yeah. He, he's, he's the, by pure size, he's randomly smiting people across the city. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um. And, uh, okay, so then we have Rachel. So Rachel is our POV character. She is our main character. Um, she is a scavenger. 
Um, a main plot point is that she cannot remember how she got into the city that we are in. Um, and that uh, she it is implied that she was born on like a Pacific Island of some kind. Uh, one of the Pacific Islands, perhaps. I'm assuming because that is where Jeff Vandermeer was living for a long time. Um, in my head, it was Hawaii um because that's because i was also in my head this was the united states so i was assuming that the united states would only be taking other people from the united states as refugees as you do um (laughs) yes um so rachel grew up with her parents on hawaii i'm assuming in my head or an island of any kind and she describes watching like the other islands disappearing around her, which was also my Hawaii decision because they're close together. Um, Mm -hmm. And as the sea level's rising, they are on the move um, as things get worse and worse. But she can't remember how... She just remembers waking up one day in the city she's in. Um, Rachel lives with Wick, her boyfriend. Um, Rachel scavenges what wick needs for his practice they have sort of like a symbiotic relationship um when she describes wick she describes him as my partner and lover both so it's like they're both in it together to survive together and also like they're a little in love um and her contribution to their relationship is that she like goes out into the city and finds shit um that could be useful to him um she is uh yeah, I mean, like, we'll talk about her more in relation to Bourne. It's, yeah. like, there's shit about her, but, like, I think the main main deal is that, like, she remembers her childhood, then there's a chunk missing, and then she wakes up and she's in the city and she teams up with Wick. Yeah, she's also our, our resident, like, cool girl <laughs> uh, character. She is the yeah. tough, tied, like, the tried and tough character who... Mm-hmm has a very uh, individualistic approach at the beginning of the book. She's very focused on the individual. Um, Okay. Then we get Wick. Wick, as we mentioned, is partner and lover to Rachel. Um, And Wick is a drug dealer. That is how we're introduced to Wick is he's a drug dealer. That's what Rachel says. Um, And by that, he he, uh, deals memory beetles that help people put into their ears, which, and that they, um, like add new memories take away memories things like that um kind of the the escapism drug of the moment um and he used to work for the company uh Mm -hmm. and that was how he ended up with a bunch of biotech and then he he fiddles around with biotech now and collects it um (laughs) wick and uh rachel live in the balcony cliffs which is a converted hotel into like their sanctuary basically Mm -hmm. um anything else to add for wick except for what we get to at the end (laughs) of the story (laughs) yeah um yeah i won't get into that just that we know that wick is sick he like literally has worms living in his body that like that alert him to like medical issues that he's having as the result of this like unknown chronic illness um and then also just that when you say wick fiddles around with biotech like yes he super does and the way he does that is that he has a giant, the hotel had a swimming pool that is now just Wick's giant vat that he stirs <laughs> like a mad magician in yeah. the night and it like glows yeah. and it's like creepy. So 
Wick also has an air of like mad scientist yeah. about him. Yeah. We don't like get a very deep Wick Rachel connection for like the first act of the book. It's very like yeah. separated. Um yeah. Okay, and then um our last like main character is, is the magician who is another uh drug dealer slash biotech dealer. Um she has a gang of mutant children. Um, that she uses as weapons across the city. Um, and she keeps trying to get uh, Wick and Rachel to join her, um, which they have held out on doing so far. Um, and she was integral in, uh, a very important part of Rachel and Wick's story. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Let's leave Uh, it there. The magician has her hands in everything. And we don't know it for a long time. Right. And then also I will just say that like as she grows in power, it's sort of like a battle. There's a mid mid book, like second act. Yeah. The battle is really between Mord and the magician. She's like trying to take him down. Um, Yeah, she's trying to take down Mord. Um, I would say if we need a reference back to something that we have read on this podcast is she is our president coin. Of the book, <laughs> of the book, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, she so valid. She is the one who has the right ideas, but has the absolute wrong methods for going about things. I said the magician was the last character, but I obviously forgot our titular character, Born. Um, <laughs> oopsies. <laughs> so, Born is found on uh, Mort's left flank, I believe. Um by Rachel while she's scavenging and he looks like a vase uh slash what's what's it a vase when she finds him he looks like a sea anemone oh yeah a sea anemone um and he is a purple blob um that she takes home as scavenge um but she likes him she takes a liking to him um earlier you said in the book summary um that he has charisma and it's born has riz that's the situation <laughs> born is Absolutely rizzed valid. up <laughs> that's the thing so he, like emits attractive smells yes he, like, he emits an attractive smell to her she kind of thinks he looks like a house plant like she's like he must be a plant so she ends up keeping born um but he's just kind of an amorphous blob really um and he as we get to know him he grows as he consumes things, whether that means eating them or keeping them alive inside of him. Um, up for debate. Up for debate. He gets bigger and bigger as the book goes on. He learns how to talk. He knows how to read, all this stuff. Um, he is um, very endearing and very scary at the same time. And um, he he's very much... <laughs> the iron giant coded where he's like <laughs> like what is it like don't at the end of the iron giant where he's like i'm a superhero like he decides he's a superhero and not a weapon um and he turns out to be biotech at the end he turns out that he's biotech i cannot believe that you just said that born was iron giant coded and i didn't think of that myself like that's <laughs> so true it's, it's really just, true it's absurd um some additional thoughts about Boren. Yeah. Um you mentioned this um that he like 
eats shit. He calls it sampling, which I think is like the cutest possible thing. Just like having a little nibble. That's probably why somebody said it was YA coded. (laughs) Yeah. That it was YA, you know, because Bourne is so like infantile in his uh, murderous tendencies. (laughs) tendencies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Necessities. Yeah. Yeah. I think, okay. I think the cute thing about how like we sort of get alerted to Bourne's potential dangerousness is that wick is like hi everything that used to live here is gone yeah <laughs> like yes. there are no more lizards there are no more spiders rachel is like yeah my compost worms are gone like he just eats shit yeah um so and he like this is just a cute factoid is that he loves compost worms he just like, yeah. loves to eat them um and lizards he likes to eat and lizards. he loves lizards and he's just right like i think born's growth over the series is like both series over the book is like intensely sad and also so fucking cute like he is just like you know when you have a pet and you're like what's your little internal monologue like what are you thinking about right now born does that like he is just he's just a guy and he loves words you know and he loves like playing with words i love born born is so cute he's also terrifying he is terrifying because he grows and grows okay those are our cast of characters for this one so shall i hit you with the plot overview yeah give me okay listen i would love to take credit for this book overview but i took it off of bookrags.com because i would i usually look for a synopsis so then write my review based off of or write my uh plot summary off of um but this one was really succinct, and I was like, I'm not going to do it Great. any yeah. any better than that. So, bookrags.com. All right. So, our book opens on a post-apocalyptic city with our narrator, Rachel, and Rachel with her drug dealer boyfriend, Wick, live in an abandoned hotel called the Balcony Cliffs. The city is haunted by a giant flying bear named Mord. Rachel discovers an object on Mord, something that looks like a cross between a vase and a sea anemone. Rachel takes Bourne to her home, and we learn that Wick has a rival named the Magician who used to work for the company, who also used to work for the company. We learn that Rachel grew up on an island with her parents and then traveled with them seeking safety as the apocalypse set in. She cannot remember how they died or how she came to the city. Shortly after bringing Bourne home, Rachel is attacked in the balcony cliffs by a group of feral children who are absolutely terrifying. After they leave, Bourne speaks to Rachel for some time, and Bourne begins to change in appearance, sprouting eyes and growing ever larger. And he tells Rachel that he killed the children who attacked her. Wick warns Rachel that Bourne might have come from the company and could be dangerous, but Rachel ignores these warnings as she has begun to love Bourne. Bourne asks for his own apartment in the balcony cliffs, and then he and Rachel go out into the city and hide on the rooftop of an abandoned factory where they hear a group of feral children approaching. Rachel watches through a hole in the roof as the children are set upon by Mord proxies, which are smaller, more vicious versions of the giant flying bear. The proxies annihilate the children, and one heads towards the roof. Bourne disguises himself as a giant rock surrounding Rachel, keeping her safely inside of him. When they return to the balcony cliffs, Wick warns again warns Rachel that Bourne is a danger to them. He also tells her that the magician has demanded that they give her the balcony cliffs and everything in it, and he has to do as she says. Because he is ill, and she gives him the medicine he needs to survive. After having seen the magician's insignia on one of the children in the factory, Rachel realizes that the children who attacked her worked for the magician, and Wick knew that all along. 
One day, Wick takes Rachel to, to the roof of the balcony cliffs because he heard the magician was planning something. They watch as her people fire a missile from her stronghold, striking Mord in the head and injuring him. Later, when Rachel is unable to sleep, she visits Wick during the night and sees herself there, already talking to him. She realizes that Bourne has been disguising himself as both her and Wick. He was doing so this to try to make peace between them, but Rachel feels violated, uh, viol violated which is valid, and tells Bourne he must leave the balcony cliffs, though it breaks her heart to do so. Once he is gone, Rachel goes through his room goes through his room and finds a journal in which Bourne admits that he must kill and consume his prey in order to survive and that he has struggled to control his impulses and to not hurt Rachel. Shortly thereafter, um, Rachel and Wick are chased out of the balcony cliffs by Mord proxies. They rest briefly in a nearby well where Wick realizes he has left his medicine behind. They must go to the company building and search for more medicine. Wick gives Rachel a letter that she is to read in the event of his death. On the way to the company building, Bourne visits Rachel and tells her that he has been killing Mord proxies and ev evil people only and that he has a plan to make everything better. He then disguise himself, disguises himself as Mord and goes chasing after the giant bear. They begin to clash. Inside the company building, Rachel finds the medicine and gives it to Wick, whose condition is rapidly deteriorating. She follows a set of footprints into a room with a giant silver portal on the wall. The magician is there and explains that the company used the portal to get supplies into the city. She asks Rachel to join her to, to her cause to take over the city. Instead, Rachel kills her, beating her over the head with a rock. Inside the room with the, the portal, Rachel discovers boxes and boxes of identical borns as well as a discarded human-like biotech, all which have Wick's face. Because Wick is biotech. She was prepared for this, though, because she had already read his letter in which he admitted that he was not human. He further told her in the letter that he had given her memory beetles at her request to make her forget the deaths of her parents who were killed by company employees after having entered the city by stowing away in boxes. Back outside. Through the portal. Right. Back outside, Rachel and Wick watch as Bourne defeats Mord by transforming into a sea-like expanse of skin and absorbing Mord. They both disappear, and in the aftermath, the city sprouts new plant and animal life. Rachel and Wick return to the balcony cliffs, but they invite others to join them. Having learned to love and nurture from her experience with Bourne, Rachel becomes a mother figure to some orphan children. And she has a little baby piece of Bourne that never moves... The end. <laughs> the end. The end. Oh my god. I honestly, that was like long, but truly every every other sentence I was like, well, what about this? Like there's so much in yes. this book that it's like impossible to condense. Like just fucking read it. You already know. Like it is so expansive. Yes. Um, absolutely. And it's only like 300 something pages. And somehow. It, it's like, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of fat in the book so to speak yeah. so um did you like it okay i don't know <laughs> sarah gave it a three star on a good read so <laughs> i didn't see holding that. that in i will say that if you on story graph i gave it 3.75 stars which is very different that is so different i don't That's so different the best thing about story graph is that you can you can do fraction stars and that is really it's too much um, thinking. It's very important to me now. Okay, so I don't know. I liked the first act and the third act quite a bit, but I found the second act to be like a little personally too philosophical. 
did I- hit me with what the second act is from when to when so well in the book is divided into those actual three parts it's like rachel begins to realize that she's loving born it's like before born ever leaves the house mm. and then we mm-hmm. get like the mord proxies born moving out him following on the salvage all that stuff i don't necessarily think i disliked like what the book was doing if that makes sense like i didn't dislike any of the content of the book but my enjoyment kind of was low if that makes sense there's like a there's a difference like like i appreciate the book on a literary level i don't think that there's anything necessarily bad about the book but i rated it purely on like how much i was like came away from it being like i enjoyed my experience of reading it which is how you should Yes. books yes. to be clear yes. like literary classics fuck it if you didn't have a good time no like, absolutely for but sure i don't think there's necessarily anything i can super fault with the book i would say where i disliked it the most was the second the second act but when we're talking about it like the themes and the characters i'm like i liked the characters and i really liked dialogue in the mm. books i i really liked the dialogue sequences I felt like that was my favorite part. I think that's because I tend to prefer with like a little bit more of a sparser fiction. Mm. Like I like a little bit more of a, like a minimalist kind of approach to things. Um, and I tend to like a lot of my character growth through um, dialogue and like interactions with other characters to see how things grow, which we get a lot of that in this book. But then it's like, we get a section of it, like a dialogue section, and then we get like 30 pages of philosophy about it. You know what I mean? Like you get a couple pages more of like diving into it, which I think is fine. But I also don't love first person fiction very much these days either. So that's part of it, I think, too. However, as first person fiction goes, I think this is one of the one that I liked a lot more and much more well done in that regard. So yeah, I have mixed feelings about it. Um, hence the three, the three, I was like, it, it's like a five star for like the themes and everything, but for how I felt when I was reading it, it's like closer to three, four ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Valid. Yeah. But we heard your review. So I know that you love this book. <laughs> Literally. This is my favorite book of all time. What? Um, <laughs> literally sarah i'm obsessed oh my god (laughs) like when i pitched it for the podcast i was like be cool be cool be cool like i (laughs) love this book i cannot express to you born changed my life it taught me what a book could be talk about blowing the back of my head off born did that for me i love this book i think it opened my eyes to how cool science fiction and speculative fiction could be and yeah. i think i just need to read more new weird fiction yeah um but i i'm just obsessed with it i think the characterizations are so stunning yeah and i also loved that it was fucking confusing like it this book trusts you not to be a fucking idiot and like if you don't get it that's valid because it's like hard but it is not going to be like okay i'll baby walk you through there are no moments of babying you yeah. in the entire book. Like we talked about this, um, I think a little, what did we fucking read last week? Last time when we read um, yeah. A Darker Shade of Magic. 
Yes, there was a little bit of babying. Oh, right, like there was a little bit of babying. A lot of babying, (laughs) right? Like there was like you got that whole thing about Lila's eye. Yeah, and then it was like okay, and here's some more later about Lila's eye. He does not do that. There's none of that in Born, Um, and you're sort of left to your own devices to like figure out what the fuck the book is saying and like how it got there. Um, And that's what I I love it so much. And it's okay that we disagree. I, um, I, but I don't think there are books that I read and I'm like, that's a fucking bad book. And people who right. are like, this is your favorite book. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. like uh, here's a good example. Like people who t- today in 2023 are like 2023 are like Harry Potter is my favorite book. Like, one of them, doesn't matter which one. Like, you're like, that's my favorite book. Taking taking J.K. Rowling aside, right? Like, we throw her out the window, as she deserves. And we say, sorry. We defenestrate J.K. Rowling, and then... And then... We still have problems. And then you're like, it's babe. It, babe. I'm like, okay, read one other book, please. Or, like, I, this is going to be very polarizing i don't really care but like a court of thorns and roses i'm like read another fucking book please please god because a court of thorns and roses i've read it twice and i enjoy reading it but i'm like is that a good book no here it's kind of the inverse where i'm like i didn't super enjoy reading it i'm like but this is a good book for Mm -hmm. like there are things Mm -hmm. that i really liked it just wasn't like it didn't hit the right spot for me all the way you know so you being like it's my favorite book i'm not like oh you know it's not like i'm like oh well that's a bad opinion you know what i mean (laughs) it's like a perfectly perfectly valid position i think to take on the book i think what we're trying to get at is that it is possible to like bad books and know that they're bad at the same time that it is possible to not like good books and know that they're good and i didn't even dislike this book i just didn't love it i would say anything not covered that you liked or didn't like that you like need to get out right Uh, now um i wrote this down for my dislikes This is my okay. this is my literary ick, as they say. Yes. Um, I think I know what you're yeah, going to say. I literally continue. wrote it down on page two. Is it the reader line? Yeah. What, <laughs> page 295. What would you have done, reader, has who has been able to follow me like the magician followed me, invisible and ever watchful and without consequence? Ugh, I hate that shit. You know I hate it. I hate it. I it just... I, re- I reread it and was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Sarah's not going to like this. Okay. I It just... It makes me... I'm like... Again, we talked about this with The Hunger Games. Like, you, you don't need to know that I'm here. Before, it was just your journal. Like, before, this was Rachel's journal. And now I'm like, what? what's the greater universal implications for me being existing in your universe? Like, I just, I don't, don't. Keep the, keep the fourth wall up. I don't need it. I think, I, I hear you. Yeah. I think that this line could have been edited yeah. away and that would have been fine. I think it's a... This might be, I might take it back. I think that's like the one moment where maybe Jeff also is babying, yeah. right? Like, I think that that is also like 
Jeff wants to call attention to like who has agency and like who is making powerful decisions and who is choosing not to do that. And then sort of like implicates you, the reader, as a way to like get you to think about it. Yeah. But the trick is that we're kind of already thinking about yeah. it anyway. Yeah. Um, I also didn't love that line. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I love that I, you knew. I, I took a sticky <sighs> note and I wrote boo in all caps. Brutal. <laughs> yeah, like, but I knew, right, we've talked about this, and yeah. I was like, oh, shit, there it goes. The fourth wall. She crumbled. Like, it's not good. Um, uh, so, yeah. yeah I, valid, valid. Valid ick. Yeah. I would say I wrote down some quotes that I really liked. Um, okay, hit me. And then this was the other thing that I noted, is that this isn't more of, a, like, a like or a dislike, but more of, like, a general note about this, is that I think a lot of post-apocalyptic uh, literature is very macro like very big sweeping like again our our like touchstone for that would be the hunger games it has a lot of really big like big themes that are about everybody which this has it in it too but it ex- it's explored in a way that's very micro very individual level which i thought was fascinating i i like think that it was very focused on what the individual can do to keep this kind of thing at bay, but it's still, I, I was left feeling slightly unsatisfied by that, the conclusion, which Mm. is the question I was thinking, like, how do you feel about kind of the, the solutions or the opposite of causing this, this um chaos or destruction like that was offered by jeff vandermeer slash the book itself you know what i mean so like because like again in the hunger games at the conclusion of that story it's like we can't we have president coin who we have to kill because she has turned evil as well and like i don't know kind of the solution was like democracy you know what i mean (laughs) valid I mean, one thing that I did not like about the end was the mommification of Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, leave her alone. Like, it's yeah. okay. Um, there's like this part at the end where like during her adventures, she like is crazed with grief and like goes out into the city, convinces herself that she's a ghost and goes looking for Bourne. And she finds him, but in the context of like finding another scavenging camp that is like, rife with children one of whom offers himself to be sold to the magician um to ease the burden of that particular scavenging group um and then later at the end this kid like shows up again as like one of rachel's adopted children and it's just sort of like relax we have explored rachel as mother with born i don't think we need like you to hit that hammer again um In terms of, like, what – I just am not convinced that, like, this book is offering any kind of solution to any problem post. Like, I think that, like, because it deals with things on such an individual level, it feels like happenstance that this – like, okay, when the magician dies, Rachel kills the magician by – via rock to the head, Yeah, right? And then everything sort of resolves coincidentally. Like it it rains for a number of days 
and that rain becomes like awakens flora fauna biotech that has been like slumbering for a long time some of it dies some of it remains things are feeling better in the city at the end but i'm not convinced that that's because of anything that rachel does or anything necessarily even that born does i think it's like it happens in a way that like does not suggest to me that Vandermeer is like, and an individual solved the crisis. Like, I yeah. am not, I, I think that like Rachel's arc and the world's arc mirror each other, but are not, like, Rachel's arc does not influence the world's arc. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't, I just don't know if I necessarily agree. But okay. I think, I, you know, I think it, it definitely, I don't think, first of all, I would say that I don't think it has to offer a solution. Um, but second of all, I will say that there are a lot of themes that seemed to be offering some sort of implication or solution for like our world slash her world. So like, like hit me, I'm, I'm losing you. So, so this is Rachel about born is Maybe, too, I realized then in that moment that I'd begun to love him because he didn't see the world like I saw the world. He didn't see the traps. Um, and to that, to me, and there was like a lot of quotes about that and about her loving Born and how she goes from loving Born and only being able to love Born to then eventually admitting that she loves Wick, where previously this she would not really admit that to herself and all of those things. Um, and it seemed to me like born also was making a gesture out of love for Rachel by trying to kill Mord um, and destroying Mord and was like, I'm going to make this all better. Rachel. I think he says something like that before he goes off to fight Mord. And he's like, I'm going to go fix this because he wants to protect Mord. Um, protect Rachel or sorry, protect Rachel. So I think that that was like what I was wrestling with was how that fits in greater to the story because that's more like born literally kills mord and that i mean i guess it's not explicit that that triggers those events like it could be happenstance but it's a, at the same time i'm like it's a it's a book so i'm like nothing's happenstance right not to get totally. super meta no, no, no. with like, it yeah yes yeah. yeah yeah no i i hear you i i get it and i yeah. think that like love as a central theme is like yeah valid and like I just am wary of placing this in the category of media that is like love solves capitalism. Like I just don't think that that's yeah the vibe. I don't know, but because that's not... the vibe that I was getting that kind of keeps some of my mm. reservations. You know? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, okay, Cause, cause, I I hear you. Yeah, I do. Because that's what I thought the the stuff with the kids at the end was was like being like. Rachel is living, not living in the world that she wants to live in. So she's going to make a piece of it, like of her own world now. Cause she like saw through born what it's like to care for somebody. So like all of that aside, like the mommification aside, which I agree with, but like, that's what it was kind of implying to me, but maybe I, it's possible. I just read it like the genre and the plot itself too literary, li literally in that aspect. I think that you're right. Like, I think that there is a trend that I actually credit with a lot of, like, America's inability to um, 
critically think about literature. Yeah. Which is like, have you seen those things that are like, the English teacher is always trying to get you to write about why the curtains are blue. Like sometimes the curtains are just blue and it's like, the curtains are almost never just blue. Yeah. Like, relax. Yeah. Like that's not true. And so I hear you and I don't want to be like, the curtains are just blue. At the same time, I just do not believe that this is a book about like individual action in that it is so micro focused on Rachel and her relationship to Wick and her relationship to Bourne yeah. that like I hesitate to believe that like right and I'll say it again like that the narrative is that like love will solve capitalism I think like because like Mord dies Bourne kills Mord yeah and then a time after that <laughs> it rains a plentiful rain yeah right and I think that there is enough in this. And also, maybe this is me being religious. Like, it could yeah. fully be, like, being informed by that. But we've also seen the deification of Mord, to a certain extent, the deification of Born. Yeah. Like, there's something almost, like, God-generous-like yeah. of this reign that it almost, to me, the way I read it was not, like... And it will always work out fine or like someone yeah, yeah. is going to take care of it or and love saves the day. It was more like and sometimes shit just gets better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. I can see that, too. I can definitely see like the because it maybe it didn't even rain like a cleansing rain as much as we think it did, but it's Rachel perceived it as more cleansing because she had experienced this big loving event basically. And that changed her perspective of the city that she was in. So I think that that could have also been the implication. I think there's that. And then I think what you said was valid and it did kind of just sway me more into that, maybe more opinion. That's like kind of more of a middle ground, I think, but I think maybe what it is is that I m might not like <laughs> post-apocalyptic fiction, post -apocalyptic fiction that doesn't offer an answer because it makes me feel too bad. <laughs> you know itchy. what I mean? Yeah, it's it makes itchy. me yeah. it makes me feel itchy because I'm like <laughs> reading this and not to sound whatever self-actualized or whatever. I'm like I already know that I am capable of feeling love. And loving those around me and loving the people in my community, you know, things like that. But if I was in a post-apocalyptic world, I would, like, I would just have to live through that. Like, you know, like, that makes me feel itchy. And I appreciate, like, if you're already living in it, what do you do? Like, how do you take what you do have and turn it into something good? Not necessarily mm -hmm. solve the problems for everyone else, but there's something about that that I'm like Ugh. I feel like it needs to be covered in it which I don't know if that makes sense at all like it might be me thinking too black and white but I I hear where you're coming from yeah and I think that is a valid thing to desire I just don't think Jeffy's giving it to you and I think I'm thriving with that. And yeah. you're like, I hate it. And that is like, I think, no, I think that's like a really good like decision point. Like one of probably more than a few, but like yeah. a good dividing line between like what we appreciate in our fiction where I am like, thanks, no answer. Perf. 
Yeah. And you're like, answer now. Yeah. <laughs> or like and, answer and the one that I found is not satisfying. Yeah. Like the answer, it doesn't have to be spelled out, right? Like it doesn't have to sure. be a babied answer, you know, no. but I felt like the themes were leading me somewhere or into like, I kept thinking we were heading towards some sort of revolution situation and we were not, which is fine. But I was like, that's what I need. Like, I need to know that things, if we're, we're like, things were like this we would have the ability to as a collective get over get over some of these things um mm-hmm. but again i think that that might be a literal interpretation of the genre because a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction is that um those things are happening right now anyway so it's like mm-hmm. what we are already in a lot of in those situations at this moment so i also wonder right like if you are expecting a science fiction answer to what is not fundamentally a science fiction problem yeah like i think like because this is new weird even though we've included it in our science fiction season (laughs) like i think because this is new weird like we might need to like adjust what we want from it yeah in a different way like this is not i would not categorize this as what I will like lovingly call like didactic science fiction. Like it's not the handmaid's tale. It's not the hunger games. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's definitely not the hunger games. (laughs) It certainly isn't. And so like, um, but I think that we're getting at like a very important part of the book, which is like, what the fuck is this bitch trying to say? (laughs) Yeah. 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 What I will come down pretty hard saying is that I think, like the absence of Mord is like one of the most important things at the end because Mord is like this terror that was created by this evil company that was creating friction in the city, as was the magician that was causing chaos, destruction, violence, and pain in the city. And without those, like, immediate overlords, so to speak, like, you can get a little bit of relief from them, you know? Okay, hot take. I actually think that um, if I'm going to get, like, I think there are two possible ways to read this, and it's probably somewhere in the middle slash a little bit of both. Yeah. But I will will take your um, love is the answer to capitalism suggestion and read and add that it's like yes and violence yeah (laughs) like yes and the brick you know what i mean oh absolutely yeah right so like i think insofar as like born is the brick right yeah so like maybe there is maybe there is an answer in that like you need to learn to love everyone around you in a new way yeah and also you need some kind of weapon you yeah. need to fight yeah. somehow um, yes. on behalf of that love, yes. um, which is what Bourne does. Yeah, we have our two behemoths through Bourne and Mord, and Mord is like on the side of the company, even though it is Mord nebulous. Used to be a person. Mord used to be a person, and it's nebulous. It's like times where, but he's just being a bear. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's his nature. He's just being a bear, and then we have Bourne, who's going against his nature. We have Bourne on the side of all of the Rachels, who is going against the nature, but like or like turning his nature into something that can fight against Mord. And so I do think we are getting some of that like solution, perhaps 
through them is like yeah. loving like if we are going the love conquers capitalism love conquers all <laughs> harry potter situation on our hands but uh we will be like it's also proposing yeah like you said it's not it's not just enough to do that though because yeah. once you gotta kill the mord you gotta <laughs> kill the mord because once mord is gone rachel feels much and the magician we can't count out the magician once mord and the magician are gone these two corrupting powers in the city are out and then rachel feels capable of loving more and loving more of those around because those powers aren't pitting each other against everybody against each other i will also say like there's something in here about trauma and yeah. abuse right like once you are no longer under the shadow of these things you can become your fuller self yeah um and also capitalism is abuse yeah Yum. yeah like right like yep so well, there's the something company, of that in there too yeah i yeah. mean i think that's a pretty direct line like is the company is the evil if there's one thing that's babying in this book it's that it's just called the company, company the company yeah <laughs> yeah the yeah i mean like Yes, like the nebulous evil company. Absolutely, like for sure. Right, okay. Actually, this leads me into my question for you. Yeah. Which is like, how are we feeling about this book's commentary on personhood? And who do you fucking think was a person? Because there's a lot. Poor Born is like, am I a person? Like, he just (laughs) needs to know. Like, Rachel, am I a person? Am I a person? Like, he's constantly asking that. Yeah. And at the end of this book, like, maybe the last, like, 50 pages, like, the magician is dead, like, we're finding out about the portal, Wick is biotech, like, blah, blah, blah. I always, every time I read this book, have, like, this moment of, like, damn, everyone I thought was a person is just super not a person, and everyone who I thought was not a person super is a person. Yeah. So, like, you find out Wick is biotech, you yeah. find out that Rachel potentially came from an alternate dimension. Yeah. Um, Born is biotech, maybe, and also came from the alternate dimension. Mord is biotech that used to be a human being. And then there's also the foxes who are definitely biotech, but are also exhibiting signs of like civilization. Yeah, they're and so, like Right. And then like, I'm not really sure where the magician fits into all of this. It's like, the magician to me is always a person like she yeah. never isn't really like yeah even when you meet her and she's like kind of this specter of terror and like stress yeah. uh she's still just a lady um but and we have I'm, also the kid the mutant kids too the mutant kids exactly the mutant children right like those are the last like five pages suddenly become like lovable yeah human beings and so, people my my question kind of to your question is like in the premise are we talking about our definition of what a person is versus like 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 a what a human is you know like a human person versus a person versus humanity like having humanity like humanity mm-hmm. as a concept inherent to a, a person like that i think is more the implication for me is that I don't, it's like poor born. Yes. Like, am I a person? But I th- like going back and forth on that, que- on the, those questions, I think it's more 
for me, I kept reading it more as like it what perhaps Mr. Vandermeer was proposing is like even if something so formal. <laughs> even if something isn't a person as you may define a person, they can still have humanity. And even even things that you view as a person might not be necessarily a person. Or in the case of Wick, somebody who you do view as a person isn't a person but is full of humanity in lots of respects and and is capable of feeling emotions and love and all of those things to me it's more of like a look at the again to bring it back to the like the loving of people and humanity like the human element like of the being the ability to love and to care and to take care of each other is the more important thing here we see more lose his humanity right and we and we see born gain his humanity humanity and struggle with a force that's like against his humanity and not and knowing he has to kill but not knowing what to do about it and then we have the magician who is a person but you see the humanity lost inside of her and the mm. and the kids who like uh, attack Rachel have lost their humanity, but then without like the power that was corrupting them, they suddenly gain it back. You know what I mean? Like I think it's more of the nature of like person versus humanity. I don't know. I think, yeah, <laughs> you nailed it. Like there's just no, yeah. Like I, yeah, I think that that's like beautiful and excellent and like basically what I was hoping you'd say like I just like I think that like the fuckery that happens in the last 50 pages is like totally on purpose where it's just like boom Wick is a biotech boom Rachel's from an alternate reality boom Bourne is also biotech from an alternate reality like boom Bourne like Mord was a person like all of that yeah is to get us to what I think you were saying in that like it can roughly be summed up in the sentence like humanity and and personhood are like intertwined but not the same thing and are complicated yeah um and yeah that's like one of the fundamental questions of the book right yeah and you know that because born is constantly like uh, and, and the rachel becoming a ghost plot part is where oh. she's she she born she kicks born out right and her heart breaks and then she no longer feels like a human anymore she doesn't feel that part of her humanity anymore like you know we've all had our heartbrokens before when you your heart breaks or you like lose love in your life in any way it's like you don't feel like i feel like it's most commonly described as like feeling like a shell of your former self like that Mm -hmm. feel that emptiness inside it does feel like you broke off like a little piece of your humanity and had to send it out the door with you you know what i mean yes yeah Yeah. so valid yeah um let's lighten it up which is who's your favorite character it's it was though this was actually a hard question for me because i was like i guess rachel question mark but i i really liked born but i think now that we've been discussing it wasn't so much as that i had a favorite character it's more like i had a favorite two character dynamic which was rachel and born together mm-hmm. not necessarily like i had a favorite character you know i don't know what about you yeah, yeah. that's so valid um mord mord <laughs> <laughs> i just fucking love mord he's my baby poor baby mord like he just doesn't know yeah you know like he's totally an instrument of 
things going on around him that like are just not his little fault like he didn't yeah like it's unclear if he knew that he was gonna be a bear it's like yeah. and of course he's fucking psychotic he's a guy that got turned into a giant bear like yeah obviously i just yeah. love Morn so much i love yeah. i loved born too i found him yeah. so heartbreaking little baby i know, I know. Well, first of all, do you, when you read books, have a yeah. little movie? Most you of the time, yeah. got a movie yeah. in there? Yeah. Okay. Who, how was Bourne doing in your little movie? How was that for you? Because he's so poorly <laughs> described. Like, there are things that, like, concrete details, like his little ring of eyeballs and yeah. his, like, little tentacles. But, like, how that all fits together, I have, like, a really hard time. Um. So the book took on a cartoon quality with me to, like, make sense of Bourne, right? I feel like I mashed together, like, 17 cartoons in my head. You know what I mean? I just sort of was like, yeah, he's doing stuff. The The easiest for me to picture was when, when Bourne went shallow. Yeah. And he goes flat. flat. And he, like, floats he's a, up he's like He's like, like a puzzle. Yeah. Like a little curtain, yeah, you know? Like, yeah. he's just vibing. Um, yeah. But I love, there's a part where he's, like, intimidating Rachel, like, kind of on purpose, where he gets, like, he goes shallow and goes up a wall and kind of, like, up the ceiling, and then there were just, like, two big eyes, yeah. like, staring at her. And that's the moment where I was like, I see you. But, like, a lot of the time I was like, yeah, Bourne is looking like something. I don't really I know. I liked when Wick and Rachel were arguing and Bourne was up in like the corner ceiling, like making little commentary up there. It was like when your parents fight. Wick is just like chucking alcohol minnows at him. Yeah. And Rachel's like, don't get him drunk. And Bourne's like, like I, <laughs> yeah. I love that. And also like Bourne is so goofy that like it takes no effort at all to imagine him going like, like that's <laughs> yeah. his little vibe. Yeah. You know, he's a goofy little dude. He yeah. is. He is. Um, are you going to read Dead Astronauts? When I looked yeah, at this question before, I was like, nah. But now that we've talked, I'm like, maybe. But you said you started it and then you didn't finish it. Truly, I just didn't fucking care. It's like, where is Bourne? No one's there. Like, okay, so some main characters from Dead Astronauts that I remember are obviously the three dead astronauts um you get their backstory um charlie x who is mentioned in like one paragraph as a psychotic scavenger who's stalking rachel Mm -hmm. and that's like when she has her run-in with the magician and the magician is like i killed charlie x so you get so much fucking charlie x and it's overwhelming and not my cup of tea and then also though this is the part about dead astronauts that i like almost stuck it out for is that you hang out with the leviathan oh okay and you get the leviathan's internal monologue so it's also a lot more of like you're still rummaging around in the people humanity question quite a bit um and also adding a layer that's like what is consciousness yeah um and so I do want to read the other one in this universe, like Born. The short story. Something. Ab- it's a yeah, Born. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll read that. Yeah. Because I get more Born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I feel like that wraps up our discussion. Do you have any last notes or anything? Mord is not nice. Mord is not nice. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and Born is a person. Um well teddy do you want to tell us what you're reading right now yeah so i'm reading witch king okay nice i started um 
And it is like high intensity fantasy. Yeah. Shit. Like I will spoil this for you and everyone else. Yeah. It starts with a one of those like character lists. Oh, like those yeah. are the first like five yeah. pages. So is there a it's map? Intense. Yes. Okay. Thank God. I needed a map. Right. I need a map. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm reading that and it's good so far. I'm also reading a book, The Reprieve by James Hahn Matson, um, which is about uh, <laughs> a group of people who like goes into one of those like full contact haunted houses and witnesses an actual murder. Oh, um, uh, yeah. So I'll let you know how that one shakes out. So far, it's it's not a horror book. Okay. So far, it's just like incredibly literary. Yeah. Um, but I'll I'll hit you up. What are you reading? Um, I'm kind of in like a little bit of a slump. I'm gonna start reading Camp Zero very shortly. But Great. I am I am reading Making Sense of the Troubles: The Story of the Conflict in Northern Ireland by David McKittrick and David McVeigh. Yeah, that doesn't sound dry at all. <laughs> <laughs> I am trying to better my intellectual knowledge of other world history events. And this was like one all started because first of all, Sam and I are planning a trip to Ireland for 2024, Mm -hmm. not Northern Ireland, but Ireland. Um, And then uh, I was also watching Dairy Girls. And I was like, I feel like I have such nebulous knowledge of this topic where I'm like, it's a thing that happened, but I don't really know like X, Y, and Z like intricacies of it. So trying to learn, but it is however dry. Yes. Uh, It's hard because my favorite nonfiction is memoirs. That's how I like to learn, Mm. but I really Mm -hmm. feel like I'm missing like the whole context. So, you know, but I did learn that, um, (laughs) Northern Ireland learned from the United States in this really fun way where they were like, let's, redistrict everywhere let's gerrymander and let's make our voting system not a pure popular vote system where it's harder to elect in a catholic uh a catholic uh, community like you need more catholic votes to elect in a catholic community than a protestant community and i was like well boy doesn't that sound fucking familiar i'm like oh, it's 1920 i wonder where you got that script from that's incredible. Yeah. That's so interesting. I was like, great. This is familiar. So that's... I love watching American eugenics slowly take over yeah. the world. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Where did you get your book? Well, from you. From Elliot. <laughs> so. Okay. The catch up begins. I don't. That's neutral. That's zero, right? I was like, I don't know yeah. what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> zero. Okay. I would and say that's neutral. I like, would like you... to. <laughs> I would yeah. like to apologize to Elliot on the air for never returning this book so much so that Elliot had to buy a new copy. I got my book from the library, so I get how many points? One. One. Great. Excellent. So that brings the score from... So going in, we were at Sarah 3, yeah. Ted 1.5, yeah. because I had the unfortunate incident where I had to buy A Darker Shade of Magic, and now it lives on my Kobo forever. Um, and now we are Sarah 3 still. Yes. Ted 2.5. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Nice. Okay. You're back in the game. Um, I am back in the game. Exactly. Trailing so closely. Um, okay. Last question for you. Yes. 
Um, if somebody was like, I really like Bourne, what should I read next? What would you tell them? I would say, well, what did you like about Bourne? Haha. <laughs> no. Then I would say, if what you liked about Bourne was the post-apocalyptic situation, but, and you liked the first-person narrative that almost kind of felt like a journal, but you were interested in more of the macro and a little bit less of the micro, then I would recommend Parable of the Sour by Octavia Butler. Feel like Fab. at the the first act of this book felt very similar to that, so that's what I was thinking. Like a mm-hmm. lot of the quotes, the setup were very parable to me, of like how we got to the spot that they're in right now. Um, so I went with that, but I don't think it's like the most accurate, like one to one. Just depends if those are the things that they liked about it. What about you? Mm-hmm. I similarly was like, well, if this was the thing they liked, I have I have yeah. thoughts. Um, so. My thing was, like, if you liked alien consciousness and, like, weird fucking, like, ways of being, right? Um, Embassy Town by China, again, Mayville? Mayville? Yeah. Mayville. Somewhere in there. China. Um, If you liked this, like, weird... Like, like if you liked the Bornisms and you liked not quite being able to picture Born and you were like, oh, I'm interested in this idea of like humanity in different ways yeah. or like what we call humanity, but could be broadly applied to other things. Um, Embassy Town is about a world in which like there are alien creatures that literally cannot lie. They can't even speculate yeah. and like how they communicate with human beings. Very interesting. Um, To a lesser extent, you might also enjoy um, Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky, which is um, kind of about sentient spiders. Um, You have to to like spiders to get through that book. Um, I know a lot of people with arachnophobia tendencies who would just be like, I'm out of here. But it's a very similar thing of like, what does it mean to think and to be um, in a body that we don't typically yeah. associate with that? Um, first book, Children of Time, you get that with spiders. Second book, Children of Ruin, you get it with octopi. Ooh, um, who so do think, think a lot. So That's so true. They're so smart. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was my thought. I agree with the parable analysis, I will also say. Um, you seem to go I, with the, the human, the philosophy element with it. And I went with the, I did. the literal yeah, yeah, post-apocalyptic yeah. vibe. But that's great. Yeah. Now we have everyone covered. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Great. Do you want to take us out? Yeah, sure. So in two weeks, we will be reading Camp Zero by Michelle Min Sterling. So hopefully you'll read along and join us for that. Um, and you can find us on social media at, at shelving cart on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And our email is shelvingcart at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. One, two, three, four. Shelving cart. Shelving cart. Shelving cart. With Sarah and Teddy. Shelving cart. Shelving cart. Shelving cart. With Sarah and Teddy. Hey. Thank you for listening to Shelving Cart. Shelving Cart was created, written, and recorded by Sarah and Teddy, edited by Sarah, and the theme music is by Kate Gardine. 
If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please rate and review us on any of your podcast listening apps. We greatly appreciate it.